My first World Cup start in Germany early in the year, I went in with pretty low expectations and I got fifth. And I was like, holy crap, like, wait a minute. I think I can actually, I think I actually have some, some legs and some potential here. And so the very next weekend in Czech, I rode to second place, like a World Cup podium. And it was just like, holy cow, like what? This is my second ever time racing a World Cup. And so at that point, I realized, okay, now you have people's attention. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we're talking about practice. They peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever... Trash talk black Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Payson McCalvin. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm thrilled to bring today's episode to you from our podcast studio. Another in-person conversation, this time with good friend and racing rival to an extent, although I consider him much more of a friend, Riley Amos. Riley is one of a very long line of world-class racers to come out of Durango, Colorado. He was born here, came up through the Durango Devo program, still only 19 years old, but he is the first U.S. male, American male racer to win a European World Cup since, I think, John Tomac. I think that's the stat I saw back in the 90s. Absolutely insane. He pulled this off this year, 2021, and was rewarded with kind of the ultimate dream, his long-standing childhood dream, the long-standing childhood dream of many young racers, a factory team contract with Trek Factory Racing. This was one of those episodes where it was a little bit harder for me counterintuitively because I know Riley pretty well at this point. We've literally done seven and a half hour training rides together where we just talk constantly. And uh, he's... Wise beyond his years, has a really good head on his shoulders, and so I thought would be a really awesome guest to kind of help us pull back the curtain on what it's like for a young racer to burst onto the scene, work really hard for what they've earned, but also have to navigate everything that comes with that success. Obviously a lot of positives, but certainly some stumbling blocks as well. I thought he did an amazing job of taking us behind the scenes, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Catch you at the end of the show. All right, Riley Amos. Um, How do you feel? Congratulations. This thing finally got announced a couple days ago. Thank you. Yeah, I just feel on top of the world. So blessed every day. Yeah. Uh, Does it feel, now that it's public, does it feel different or because you've known for a pretty good while? I mean, I've known for a pretty good while, but... You know, it's it's always different what makes you really realize something. Like, uh, I think now that it's public and I, I was able to announce it and people know, like, it's just, it's huge now. It's really just setting in the, the magnitude um, of, like, at 19 years old, I'm one of the only American men ever to have a factory ride and to go race World Cups full-time. And yeah, just 
so blessed and just so thankful every day right now for sure. Yep. So for some of the non diehard bike racing fans that might be listening, Riley Amos, good friend of mine, uh, 19, you're still 19, right? Still 19, 19 year old, <laughs> uh, prodigy from Durango, Colorado, won a world cup this year, cross country world cup and is being rewarded with a factory team contract on Trek factory racing. Um, who else has done that in the, in the modern age? There's Blevins, Howard. Yeah. I mean, Howard, Chris, I mean, Todd back in the day. For sure. Todd, I, I kind of consider like Todd, Adam Craig. Yeah. Those guys sort of the previous generation. Yeah. Jeremy Horgan, Kabelski. Not many is the point. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the process. Uh, I mean, we, we have a ton to talk about, but, uh, let's talk a little bit about where you were coming out of 2020. Um, because it's always interesting. I always enjoy looking back and thinking about like, okay, this was, this was an inflection point. Like this was a a decision point where it could have gone either way. And one decision versus the other would have set me down a very different path, very different trajectory. And you sort of had a moment like that, a period of time. So describe for us your 2020 pandemic season and kind of the decision-making going through your head uh, and ultimately, you know, how that led to the position you're in now. Yeah. I mean, 2020, I was a, a junior, so a 17, 18 junior UCI rider. And because of the COVID season, we didn't have really any racing in the U S and we got, luckily my, my season was a whole two races that were, that were real important races. I got to go, um, in October to Nova Mesto, Czech Republic, where they had a junior series alongside the doubleheader world cup there. And then the next week I got to race the world championships in Leo gang, Austria for USA cycling. And so I kind of had a two race season at, in October, which is a bit, uh, out of the norm. And I had, I had been working all summer, um, in a bike shop, you know, just not a lot of racing going on and training and hanging out with friends and just like enjoying summer as a 18 year old kid. And then uh, we realized we we're going to get to go race still and like still had a chance to put some good results on the board before graduating to the elite ranks or the U23 ranks next year. And so in Nova Mesto, I had a, a good race and me and a teammate Bjorn Riley on bear development, we both got on the, on the podium there and it was good, but I was hoping for a little more. And then the next week in Austria, I had a really good ride in just like the most absolute insane conditions, the most probably the muddiest race I've ever ridden. And like the entire top five of our field was all like crashing everywhere, putting chains on a couple of times during the race, like trying to blow out your drivetrain with a water ball, riding through the feed zone, like the most insane, hectic, like cycle cross conditions you can imagine. And I, uh, on the last lap, I was in third place and was like freaking out thinking I was going to get a medal. And the very last descent into the finish line, I, I crashed under like this flyover bridge on this sharp corner. And this, uh, this guy who I was battling with the whole race passed me back and he led into the sprint finish and I got fourth. And so I was just so heartbroken that I was so close to a medal and such an insane day. But uh, it was still still a really good result. Still fourth place at the world championships. Like that's definitely nothing to not be proud of. But, you know, after that, with it being such a weird season and 
you know, teams just not sure really the direction of racing and how racing was going to look the next year and how budgets were changed. Um, no one was super keen, you know, to really take me to a, to a professional world cup team. And you know, I was asking around a bit and I had been riding for the bear for bear development team for two years and like absolutely loved every minute of it. But you know, like this was always my passion. This was always my dream to take, you know, racing to the, to making it a career. And so, you know, I was trying to reach out to people and make connections and see, you know, if it was time or I had the ability to go on to the next step and no one is super keen. And just like, I was so close, but not quite being stoked on everyone's radar. Like was so close to being someone who they wanted to sign, but with everything happening, you know, it was just not quite. And so I actually had an opportunity with, uh, with another brand, but it would mean kind of changing up my focus as a rider a bit. And I was really on this dream of chasing the world cup racing and world cup pipeline. And so many people have this dream and so many people get, uh, like just don't quite make it. And at least in the U S it's been such a shallow pool of men who actually get to go to the next level and really full-time race cross country mountain bike world cups. And so like I, I was performing and just being able to be right on the cusp of breaking through to that, being able to do it for a living. And I had an opportunity with another brand who was willing to support me at the world cup stage, but also, you know, wanted me to try some other events and focus a lot more on just a more well-rounded schedule with some other disciplines and focusing on some other media projects and things. And I was pretty stoked on it. But I, after talking with a lot of people and that I, that I believe really know what's best for me, like, uh, coaches and other athletes, it just felt like it maybe wasn't the right choice because of this dream I had. And so I said no to a pretty, pretty good offer. And I was very, very fortunate that Trek was actually going to be willing to let me go to some world cups the following year. Like it wasn't super specific, but they, they believed that I could perform and that I had a chance to be a breakout rider. And so I kind of said no to some, some money and some opportunities to essentially bet on myself and bet on the fact that I had more to show for and bet on the fact that Trek believed in me and still wanted to support this dream of racing world cups. And I got to travel this year, essentially the season with Trek factory race into a bunch of world cups and, you know, kind of see what it was like and have a chance to perform really well, my best and like it paid off in unimaginable ways for me. So, yeah, that's such a classic yet challenging situation. You know, professional athletics are so volatile and by definition, not guaranteed. And so that dance of having an opportunity dangled in front of you, but knowing it's not what, you know, could fulfill your full potential, like you're capable of more. And so saying no and like pushing, pushing that full-time professional racer dream aside for another year in hopes of something more significant a year later, like that's a, that's a tricky one. It takes a lot of, 
bravery. I was, I don't know if you've seen this movie yet. It just came out, but there's this new movie called King Richard about, uh, Venus and Serena Williams dad. And there's this incredible scene where Venus Williams is this unbelievable young talent. And Nike offered her a $3 million contract when she was 14 years old. Holy cow. No, I haven't seen this movie. And she turned it down. She, she was 14 and she turned down $3 million. And within a month or two later, she played this match against uh, the current number one in the world and almost beat them. And a week later, she signed a $12 million contract with Reebok. <laughs> so just a classic. Holy cow. Yeah, 14 years old. Just a classic example. Talk of, about pressure. Whew, dude. <laughs> insanity. Um, so anyway, uh, slightly different numbers in, in, in mountain bike racing, but the, the same. Uh, the, the yeah, I mean, just picture though, like <laughs> an 18 year old kid hungry to race his bike and wants more than anything to be able to do that for the rest of I mean, until he can't. And when, when you don't have a really a ton of options and I mean, I always had bear bear was an, is amazing, amazing place, but bears goal is to develop riders to be able to go pro, you know, bears goal is to give a stepping stone for juniors and U 23 riders to be able to take it to a professional standpoint. And that was my goal. But when you're 18 years old and you want to race your bike more than anything else. And a brand is willing to throw some couple thousand dollars at you. Like it's tempting. And as you said, with, uh, with this movie, sometimes you have to trust in yourself and trust that you can, you can do better. And like, it might not be the best thing for you, even though there's some dollars involved saying no to some dollars for, I mean, for bigger and better that you're not sure of is hard, you know, because you can take the guarantee or you can, yeah, you can, you can go to the lottery, you know, I could have had, you know, an injury this year that put me out for the whole season. And then I'd be really stuck in the mud, but I mean, it worked out for the better. And I had, I had offers from every factory team on the circuit. Yeah. So. I mean, that's the other thing. So we might as well get the challenge stuff out of the way first where we have to, <laughs> I know we kind of jumped right where, into where, it. <laughs> where we have to tiptoe around, you know, <laughs> stay pro. Um, okay. So the 2021 season, we can talk about what it was like to win a world cup, all that sort of thing. But first I, I sort of want to fast forward a little bit just cause we're talking about contract stuff. You had an awesome season highlighted in particular by a world cup win. A World Cup win is even less frequent than, you know, a, a, a male American getting signed to a factory team. I think the last person to do it, and it depends on how you quantify it, but Howard won a Junior World Cup in like 2013, 2012, something like that. But that was on U.S. soil. And so you were the first U.S. male to win uh, a European World Cup in a long, long time. So that was big. That really, I think, kind of punched your ticket to the big leagues open the door for those contracts that you were interested in. And then all of a sudden you had the opposite problem <laughs> where <laughs> everybody, everybody wanted a piece of Riley Amos. Talk to me about the learning process of the business side of things. You know, you got an agent, Pat Lemieux, who, good mutual friend. Um, you were weighing all kinds of pros and cons. Ultimately, what did you learn about the landscape of being a pro athlete and, you know, potentially what, what is going to be involved in regards to this career off the race course for however many years you decide to do it? 
yeah, man, I learned, <laughs> I essentially went from knowing nothing this year to having to, to really grow up quick in a sense. Cause I mean, my, my first world cup start in Germany early in the year, I, I went in with pretty low expectations, like first race as an under 23, like we're just here to find our feet. And I got fifth. And I was like, holy crap, wait a minute. I think I can actually, I think I actually have some, some legs and some potential here. And so like the very next weekend in Czech, I rode to second place, like a world cup podium. And it was just like, holy cow, like what? This is my second ever time racing a world cup. And I'm first year and I just got on a podium. And so at that point I realized, I was like, okay. Now you have some worth. Now you have people's attention. And so at that point, it was like, whoa, I need to figure out how to handle this best because I just really didn't know anything. Like, I didn't even know how you go reach out to a brand or if a brand's supposed to reach out to you. Like, I had no clue how this process even works. And so, like, literally just started connecting with other athletes and just trying to learn, like, hey, like, how has this process looked for you? <laughs> like just trying to like talk to people and understand how you go from, you know, just putting the result up to starting to get a written contract in front of you. And then kind of debated with my coach a bit about if I really wanted to work with a, with a sports agent and it was worth in my position, the, the cost to benefit of that. Um, and decided on working with, like you said, Pat Lemieux and, He's been awesome. He's been just like a, a super good help. And he really is focused on taking the stress out of deciding your, your worth and your negotiation of contracts. And he's really so focused on like, Riley, just focus on your training. Like he, he actually came to the last world cup of the season in snowshoe and I'm staying with bear and he pulls up and I'm like helping move bikes and, hanging out with my teammates and he's like Riley what are you doing we got to get you off your feet like <laughs> sit down he, he like plopped because I had never actually met him in person before and like he sees you as this diamond that's just like yeah and getting gig dust on he's it, like no, no no stop polish yourself yeah it was so funny he's like Riley you cannot be on your feet like you cannot walk or like sit still like trying to get me water and get me food and like pulls up a camping chair so we can like sit and talk and like I'm not good at sitting still and just like not do anything like I always have to be moving and doing and talking and I'm kind of this crazy bundle of energy and he's so awesome because he, he cares so much about my success as an athlete and every decision he's helped me make from a sponsors and team perspective has been hey what is the best for your success as an athlete like every decision we've, we've made has been mostly about taking the money out of it. And what is, what, how am I going to be successful in five years? Like, how am I going to be best set up to go to the Paris 2024? Like that's the, and having that perspective has been really good. And he's just such a good guy and so easy to talk to. And like, whenever I need to just shoot him a phone call with questions, he's there. So yeah, I decided to, to work with him, but really it was just, I had, Two, I mean, I signed with Trek and then one other brand that I was really debating on. And it was such a hard decision for me and like absolutely lost my mind, honestly, <laughs> over this decision because uh. it was, oh man, 
like the monetary side was basically the same, but essentially it was like, Hey, do you want to trade what might potentially be the most beneficial for you being the best world cup athlete in the entire world in five, 10 years time? Or do you want to stay with a brand who's incredibly good, incredibly invested in their athletes has incredible success as well. And has given you everything you essentially have like this, this decision just haunted me because it meant closing the door on family or taking essentially what could be the most desired spot on the world cup circuit. Yeah. At 19 years old. Yeah. How, how long did you deliberate? (laughs) Essentially we stalled for like three months. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I kind of just pushing back and waiting and, I wanted to finish the season and see if I had any more results, you know, that could change my, my value and my worth essentially. And, but yeah, (laughs) yeah, it was so, so hard. I I never realized what pressure really was because I was always chasing the next goal. I was always chasing this dream of being pro. I was always just trying to get there. And then once I was there, yeah, man, it was definitely one of the hardest decisions of my life. Yeah. So, did so that, hard. How did it change your perspective about the job overall? Did it, was it exciting and fun? And do you look forward to the next? I mean, obviously you're not going to go through a super gnarly contract negotiation, every contract cycle, like these things can go in a bunch of different directions, but is that a part that, that adds like richness to the job that you're going to enjoy to an extent? Or is it like a necessary evil and once exposed to it, you're like, man, I wish it wasn't like this. <laughs> I think a little of both, honestly. Like, it was so hard to make what I felt were such impactful decisions. And that did create stress. But at the same time, it was cool learning about that and learning about, like, how an athlete is uh, beneficial to a company. You know, like, as as a rider, what you're what your role is and how you essentially sell product for a brand and like learning the worth that comes with it. Like I thought it was very interesting. Like I kind of liked that marketing side of things and it was stressful at times, but also was not because of the position I was in. Like, yes, it was stressful making this decision, but also I was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly lucky to be in that position where like, Hey, you have the two best teams in the world to decide between. So like, sure. It's stressful, but at the same time, it could be, it could be a lot different of a situation. Incredibly blessed. Yeah. It is crazy to think about if you rewind just a couple few years when you're a junior racer with these huge dreams and you're just doing, you know, interval workouts and like trying so hard and committing yourself and just chasing this dream, chasing this dream, chasing this dream. And then you get there and you realize how volatile and in a way, fragile, the business side of professional athletics, no matter the sport can be. I mean, if you just pull up cycling news on a daily basis, like yesterday, there's this heartbreaking article about this kid um, that had been riding for, I think it was actually Trek Segafredo, um, who didn't get his contract renewed. And, you know, he's sort of like in this interview, just like bared his soul and talked about, you know, the frustration and the disappointment and all that sort of thing. And then the next day you'll see a, a an article where it's like Egon Bernal signs, you know, five year contract with an And it's just, it's so crazy how these things are, 
there's so much timing involved. There's so much luck involved. Obviously, you know, talent, God-given ability, all of those things are the most important thing. But um, just thinking about how, like, all those years of just dedication, doing intervals, gambling on yourself, they can just, in a flash, be gone for some. Um, It's such a wild juxtaposition to, as a junior, thinking that it's this almost unimaginable, untouchable echelon of, like, ability and and the dream job i don't know it's just it's weird to get there you know for sure like i was always just chasing chasing trying to get to this position and in in an hour and 15 minutes in one race it changed my entire life yeah in one race sports are weird (laughs) yeah it's super weird (laughs) yeah yeah just so crazy like you said to think about it and how how fast you know like you said, this kid who, uh, who didn't get his contract renewed, how, you know, the right timing or the wrong timing and one injury and one sickness, how fast you can lose your job and like maybe gone from the sport forever. Like it is the most incredible blessed job on planet earth to be able to do what you love every day. But it's also like, it's hard in a lot of ways and it can be gone or made so fast yeah i think that's why it's 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 really cool i mean i know you got loads of of feedback from mentors that you value the opinion of you know folks like travis brown come to mind net over and like all of these people in in durango that we're so fortunate to have access to um and i went through some tough decisions this off season as well and ultimately the advice that i got i bet was similar to yours which was prioritize the people that you're going to work with like ultimately the relationships are so important and kind of like you said you decided to go the route of loyalty and family and and Correct. a known quantity yeah. and a healthy ecosystem it was good people that i knew and it was people who had invested in me and yeah it was it was it was home and his family instead of you know going on a new uncharted journey that had a lot of unknowns yeah so um all right that's enough business talk that's enough business talk so <laughs> Going into amidst all this, you made the decision, signed the contract, probably had to be one of the best days of your life, like signing your name on that contract. And then you have to go into the off season. <laughs> um, how hard was it to take a month? Because you took a basically a full month off the bike, right? In Correct. November? Yeah. Yep. Um, how hard was that psychologically? Was this did this new contract and and new team? make it harder to take all that time off? Um, or were you not ready? really? It was like, I mean, yeah, it's hard to, it was hard to take time off the bike at first. It was hard, but then it was like, Hey, I guess you just have a month to play and do whatever you want. <laughs> I'm not in school right now. And like have a lot of time until the next races. Like, why are you stressing? Like hang out with friends and like every day was a vacation for a month. <laughs> like it was amazing. <laughs> But yeah. Yeah. Has it been hard at all um, taking a step outside of a normal 19 year old's path? Like, like you said, you're putting school on hold, which anyone would understand. You're not, you know, you have all of these friends in Durango that uh, you were going to Fort Lewis college with. Correct. They're going to class. Yeah. You're not. Um, You're the one that made it. A lot of these friends wished or at some point were trying to make it was there ever any like 
personally, were there any challenges there? Yeah, definitely. It's just like, like you said, I was, I'm just in a very different position at 19 than a lot of people are. And like, I have so many amazing connections and friends here in Durango. And like, that's part of why I'm always so excited to come home is because of like the people and friends and family that I have here. And, you know, seeing like, sure you, they may wish you're always going to wish for what you don't have in a sense, but like they may, some of my best friends who, who go to the fort may, may wish they were in my position, you know? And sometimes I'm like, man, it'd be nice to just, you know, go out and stay up till 1am and hang out with your buddies and like not have anything else on your mind as well, you know? And when, when I'm, when it's a Wednesday and they're in class and I'm like, man, I wish I had a riding buddies right now. <laughs> like, yeah, it's hard. It's just different, you know, like it's just a different life. And I definitely have sacrificed a lot of connections and good times with some of my best friends. And, you know, the, I don't, I have, I'm not sure the, the consequences or not of not being in school right now, but yeah, I'm just going to, I'm taking advantage of this opportunity while I have it and going to make the most of this opportunity to ride my bike professionally while I have it. And some people who are in, incredible people, I don't know how they do it. Like, uh, like Christopher Blevins can, can go to school and get a degree at the same time of racing this dream. And like, I think that's amazing and absolutely so cool for him. But like I, last year when I was in school and also trying to race, like I was kind of just like pulling my hair out, going nuts and I like to feel like I felt like I was giving 50% to school and 50% to biking and just doing okay at both. And I, I just didn't like that. Like I wanted to feel like, Hey, I'm not going to bleed an opportunity while I have it. I'm going to, I'm going to take it full advantage of, and I wanted to like fully apply myself to the sport while I have this opportunity. Yeah. I remember, I don't remember what ride we were doing, but I remember a ride last year where you were sort of just venting about this. Yeah, and no, you, for sure. You, you basically outlined for me what your schedule had been around one of those races in October. Um, I think it might've been check and you were basically yeah. describing what it required for you to get school done and also race. Can you, do you remember like what that setup was like? Yeah, definitely. It, we were in check and, you're trying to um, go train on the course and then come home and try and get the Wi-Fi to work to be able to su submit an assignment or take a test that's only open for a certain time period that you're eight hours ahead in Europe and like trying to come or collaborate with uh, other students on a group project when you're all the way across the world. Like it was crazy. The fact that I'm like submitting a, a final at midnight <laughs> um, and just praying that it actually submits that the Wi-Fi works the day before you're supposed to race like a junior world cup. Like it was, it was crazy. And some people like can just roll with it and love it. And like, I was definitely rolling with it, but <laughs> it was, it was like stressful and it was taxing. And at, at this level, you know, you're so many people invest so much and yourself invest so much into doing everything as perfect as you can to have the best possible chance at these races, because these opportunities, like you only get so many of them. And like when you're 
when your brain is just so elsewhere thinking about so many other things, like it was, it's hard to just really get a good night's sleep and focus on what the most important task at hand was. Yeah. And like that ate me alive last year for sure. Like there were just very many, there's a ton of just like full mental breakdown moments of like, why can't I do this? Like, why can't I figure this out? And why can't I just apply myself well to school? Am I going to have a good race tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, it was a really hard time last year trying to finish the race season with like some goals that I really, really, really put a lot of pressure on myself to do well because they were such valuable opportunities while also trying to justify why I was in school and why I needed to do well in school. And yeah, it it was just like, it was kind of tearing me apart a bit. So I'm happy for the decision I made. Yeah. So changing gears a little bit, um, you signed your dream contract. You're in the major leagues. You won a world cup for better or worse. I've started calling you the chosen one. (laughs) (laughs) how are you uh how have you avoided okay hang on i'm gonna rewinding i'm gonna tell a quick story so again trying to keep things a little bit vague just out of respect for them we have a, a a young person in our community here in durango who had a really really awful injury um that is likely possibly life changing and uh they haven't been able to do much of anything for quite a while and you, you took it upon yourself to spend time with this person, do stuff. You, know, you couldn't ride your bikes together anymore, but you could do other stuff. And you and this other person came over to our house uh, a little while ago at one point. And I was chatting with them and, and just out of genuine curiosity, I asked them, you know, whether uh, they were getting, you know, the support they felt they needed socially and all that sort of thing. And um, he actually started tearing up and he said... Riley is pretty much the only one that has continued to hang out with me. Why and how are you keeping balance in that way? Like what, how are you able, you're 19 years old. You've had all of this success. Everyone's telling you you're amazing. And yet there's no inkling of cockiness. There's no um, entitlement. And really it's the opposite. Like you've continued to go out of your way to help other people, um, see people who haven't been as fortunate as you have, um, and you're prioritizing them as well. Why, why do you think, why are you think you're doing it that way? You're kind. I appreciate you saying that. I'm trying, but I don't know. Yeah. He, he's been a super good friend since we were just super little. And like, I couldn't bear to think about the fact of having one small crash that may never let me ride a bike again. Like that thought is so haunting and so scary. And like he has been, he was, he's been one of my, my closest friends for many years. And like, I just saw him hurting and I feel like my parents have raised me in a way to always, always be trying to think about other people and to give to other people before yourself. And I think I'm, I'm like, I'm definitely a selfish person in a lot of ways. And like, I think part of that is how, I mean, I think you have to be selfish to a certain extent to be, to do well in an individual sport, but also like sport is just one aspect of your life, no matter how good you are. Like 
it may be your job. It may be your biggest passion. It may be 90% of your life, but like it's still not your whole life and it can change in a flash. And so like, I just, I'm, I'm trying to always be better and do better, work harder and give more. And yeah, I mean, when I see someone who's having a hard time, like, yeah, I'm going to try and reach out and do the right thing and be there for them. Like it's that simple of being a good person. Yeah. Um, at one point not long ago, uh, we were talking pretty seriously about doing the Cape Epic together yep. this spring. Um, spoiler alert, it's not going to work out. But Boo. During, uh, <laughs> during those conversations, you know, we'd start to get a little bit excited about what it could mean competitively. And then you would always keep bringing up like, but what else are we going to do on that trip? Like not, Correct. not bike related. How are we going to ensure that our trip leaves a mark in ways other than bike racing yeah um it blows my mind that you continue to think that way at 19 years old riley uh i don't want to ask the same question i just did so sort of like reframing it are you taking any cues from others like are you following in the example of any other community members or i mean maybe it is your parents um are is this attitude something that like, are you following someone's example or does it just feel right? And, and you're not really sure why, but you're just going to prioritize it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely following example. There's a ton of beautiful people out there doing really cool things. And like this year, I just got to be exposed to so many people and so many, like everyone on the, on the world cup circuit and all of the, the staff and all the riders and just meeting my idols and just like getting to learn the people that they are and like meet the human that they are was so cool to me this year, you know, getting to know Yolanda Neff and getting to know Evie and getting to know Anton and like getting to know these absolute idols to many people, getting just to know who they are and their personality. And I got to just like see so many different perspectives on sport and on life and on what makes people tick. And like, I'm, I just, you know, saw that and, and kind of have, slowly been trying to decide like, who am I, you know, and being able to be in this position at a young age and like now have a job to be able to do this has always been what I was working for. And like, I got so lucky and so many people invested so much love and energy and time into getting me here. And so now it feels like, Hey, I I'm here. I've done it. So now what are you going to do? to give someone else that opportunity because someone else gave their opportunity and gave their love to me. And that's why I'm here. So now it feels like, Hey, I'm here, but we need like, I'm, I, I'm so such a social person and so much about my community and my family and my team. And like, I don't want to just be at the top by myself and I'm far from where I want to be someday, but like, I don't want to just go on this path by myself. Cause it's a lonely sport. Like I want to bring others with me and I want to do this together. And I want to give others the opportunity to, to be the best in the world and to break records and to like, as well, like I'm not selfish about wanting to be at the top at all. Like I want to bring others with me and have a community to ride with and train with and push each other and go on training camps with and travel the world with like, I want to do that with people, not by myself. And so like, that's kind of 
a lot of my thinking. And I think I got lucky squeezing through the pipeline in the U S of development. And I think it's changed a lot since already since I was a junior and like not necessarily for better. And like, I want to be a part of giving junior riders the opportunities to race internationally that I did that I think are so beneficial to success. And like, I want to be the one who is someone they can call and ask for advice on a potential contract. And I don't know exactly what, you know, inside me makes that tick, but I, I mean, it's, it's who I am and how I was raised and yeah, it, it's when you're so fortunate, you need to share that. Like it's not, it's not, you didn't make it because of you. Like, sure you put in a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of luck, but like you made it because of other people in anything. So yeah. 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 That's my thought. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't agree more. Speaking of, you just mentioned your teammates. Let's talk a little bit about your new teammates. Um, I've actually had every, every single one of them on the podcast, which is kind of fun and unusual. Yeah. Um, the thing that struck me is how it sounds so stupid, but they're all really strong personalities. I think, yeah, Everyone has a strong personality. It's just a matter of whether you get to know them or not. Um, and you, when when someone is in the public eye frequently, you start to try to like fill in the gaps to understand them a little bit and start projecting about who they might be. Invariably, you're always way wrong. But it's like, correct. It's just, it's like just, you always idolize, you know, <clears throat> someone through social media and what they post. And yeah, you have this image of who they are, and then you get to meet them, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> Like some people kind of follow the image they portray themselves as and other people are just like a fully different person. So it's fun to sure. see that. Yeah, like Yolanda. I remember chatting with her. I was like, wow, you are such a just goofy nerd. Whoa. She's, I'm going to tell her you said that. <laughs> I mean, in a good way, though. Like she's she's just like so bubbly. And yeah. when you see her just be an absolute weapon on a World Cup circuit, like you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily assume that, you know. No. What, have, what have your impressions been? Like, I mean, we don't have to go through all of them, but do anything, do, do any things come to mind, whether generally about like the, in, the, the environment at large, or was there anything especially surprising when you were, you know, spending time with these people for, you know, multiple weekends a year? Uh, it's hard. Cause my first kind of impressions of them, of getting to meet just like absolute idols. Like I was shaking when I got to Germany for the first world cup and like show up, get handed a bike, get handed a kit. And like, they're all already out training and they like come back and we sit down and have like team dinner. And I'm like shaking just cause I'm like, <laughs> Holy shit. I'm sitting here having dinner with like people that I've, that have just like looked up to is just this league so far away from me. And like, just trying to like hold my shit together and not act like a dork. You know, because now you're essentially like teammates with, you're not equal with them, but you're, you're teammates with them. And like, just trying to talk to them and meet them. It was so like, I definitely was not myself at first just because I was like, <laughs> like, oh, like looking at where I was. And then it was also hard because like they, a lot of them were under a lot of stress because it was like crunch time for qualifying for the Olympics. So like Evie was not qualified yet. I believe Yolanda wasn't qualified yet because she was coming off some injuries. And so like they were also definitely pretty stressed out and with a lot of pressure on them. So like we were pretty distant for the first couple of races. 
like we definitely were teammates and we talked and we had dinner together, but we're really distant for the first couple races. But as time went on and after we got past the Olympic hump and especially like at snowshoe, I finally like, I feel like I kind of broke through the skin a bit and like I was more outgoing in myself and comfortable in the environment and they were comfortable and happier. And you know, the stresses of a four year Olympic cycle had come off their shoulders and Yolanda had won the freaking Olympics and Evie had won the world champs. So everyone was on a high and then we finally clicked and then it was awesome. It was like, I had this awesome friend group and family to ride with and bounce ideas off and make jokes with. And it was super awesome. Like me and Yolanda clicked super hard. I think we just think about cycling very similar and, you know, think about training philosophies and courses and how, line how choice. So, very similar. How so? I think we just like when it comes to our philosophies around training and like how to love the sport, we think very similar as far as like we had many talks of like just what the what a good training day looks like and just going and ripping around on your mountain bike and smashing some efforts with your friends and seeing beautiful places. Like we just had very similar like we just think very similar about the cycling and sport and just like taking a deep breath and not thinking too seriously about it and like not sweating the little things, for example. Um, and yeah, she, like you said, she's a, she's a goofball and a good time and all over the place. And like, but like it makes her tick and Evie's just a absolute bubbly goofball as well. Like just so funny and just like, yeah, it, it was awesome. What's something about Evie that people wouldn't know? Mm. Um, she's the Facebook marketplace queen. (laughs) 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 She, she's into uh, like decorating. uh, I think she just bought a house not too long ago. And like we'd be in Europe at a race and she was just like, going crazy buying a bunch of stuff on Facebook marketplace all over the UK and then like calling her dad to go pick it all up for her at her house to drop it off at her house. Like, yeah, Evie is very much like she loves life and she loves cycling and like, doesn't need anyone else. Like Evie like has her friends and has cycling and has her family, but like she's, she's going to be successful as an individual, like she doesn't need to rely on anyone. She's super self-sufficient. And it's awesome. Yeah. Um, what about Anton? He's kind of, he, he strikes me. I've roomed with him once yeah. before and he strikes me as definitely one of the quieter. He's, types. I love Anton. He's like, we definitely, it took a little while for us to click as well. Um, Cause he's just like a, a quieter guy. Like he's more reserved, but once you get him like talking, he's so fun and super cool. And like, has like just been there and done that for a long time for a lot of races and has a ton of knowledge. And, uh, he's, he's like super simple. You know, he loves to train, ride his bike, see beautiful places, like spend time with his girlfriend, eat good food and like watch sports. Like he just like lives a very simple, happy life. It's awesome. Yeah. Nice. When you, got the opportunity to be in that factory team environment and you were pre-riding with all of these stars of the sport preparing, you know, when you go, when you go to, I've frankly, I haven't really been, I've done world cups, but I was never exposed to this style of doing things where you go Monday and you spend a week 
just like blinders on preparing for the race, meticulously going through the course, preparing. What, what were some things that surprised you about that process uh, that you've sort of picked up and implemented going forward? Um, I think I'd always, like, I guess I also, I guess I just didn't really know what a process looked like. Cause I mean, as a junior, you'd go to a race and you pre-ride the course, maybe one sketchy section, you look at a couple lines, but you're kind of just running laps and then race day, you go and race it. And like with the world cup, you have every resource or with the factory team set up at the world cup. Like I had every resource basically like I could need as far as from a massage therapist to make sure like there's not a tight muscle on your body, <laughs> like to where you're just feeling great every day and relaxed. And then all the different iterations of products to try from tires to inserts, you're messing with pressures and tires and suspension and like kind of me getting to learn from the factory mechanics and from the riders of how they choose equipment was very interesting because every rider had their own kind of what they like and how they set up their equipment for a race. Like Anton loves his hardtail and like can basically race a hardtail for anything with a high post. And it's, <laughs> it's like, so crazy. and he's so, so good at it. He's such a good rider and he can do it. But for me, I'm like, you couldn't freaking pay me to get on a hardtail on this course, you know? And so it's interesting because I like got to see everyone's perspective from how Anton likes his bike and set up to how Yolanda likes her bike and set up. And Evie, who doesn't know if her suspension's locked or not, going on a downhill. <laughs> and so, so like, I got to see the full spectrum, and it was so awesome. Because, like, you know, like I said, seeing how if each rider, or, like, what riders are going to be, like, tweaking half PSI in their tires. And, like, that's kind of me. Like, I like, I like, I feel like I have a pretty decent understanding of my equipment and how it works and how to change to best set up for a course. And I, I'm, I, I like tinkering and I'm always messing with suspension setup and tire setup course to course. Um, and then, like I said, then there's Evie who's just like so set and forget. And like, because it's always the same, she's comfortable on her equipment and she trusts her equipment and it's never foreign to her and she just will ride it. And it's not something that she's stressing about. And it like works really, really well for her, obviously. But getting to see the process of, you know, seeing the course and also how the course changes throughout the week, because I mean, a hundred, a hundred riders running laps for a week on a course changes it a ton. And so like also changing your lines as a course develops and also like what you have to be ready for if the weather changes, like things of, you know, you're on the start line warming up and it's been a dry course all week and all of a sudden the rain's coming and it's about to open all the rain. And like the decision of like, shit, do I need to go to mud tires and drop three PSI right now as you're on the rollers before your race or not? Like those are things I got to learn. And like, I hadn't ridden the tires really before that we raced on this year. And so the first race in Alpstadt, I spent all week just like riding the different tires on the course and like just learning them and how they felt and the speed. And like some riders like Anton, really like a pretty minimal tire and really like the feel of a fast rolling tire and feel very comfortable with minimal grip and doesn't slow them down at all. And I like to just like have the confidence of 
a little bit maybe meatier tire. And so, like I said, I was just trying all the equipment, learning the equipment the first race and just the whole season learning from the different riders who are the best in the world of how they go through this process of trying lines. And in Lenzerheide, Yolanda like asked me like, hey, Riley, you want to go ride some laps with me? Because I want to follow your lines. Like Yolanda wanted to see my lines on the course. And so like she's following me and we're talking through some things for some different Rudy sections. And then I'm following her and then she's done freaking two hours of laps and she goes and asks Anton, Hey Anton, can we go ride some laps now? And I'm like, Holy crap. This is the, you just raced a short track yesterday and you got to race an XC tomorrow and you're two and a half hours into riding laps and like getting to see how she achieves like her race day ready was awesome. And the fact that like she wanted to see my lines and I can see how she chooses lines on the course. And then she's going to see Anton's lines. So she's just getting all these different perspectives. And then she takes them all and breaks them down and stuff she likes and doesn't like. And then she has it super dialed for race day. She has no ego. It's awesome. Like she will talk to every rider out on the course and wow. ask them questions. And um, it's it's super awesome because not, not everybody has that. So, Yeah. I mean, I was kind of bouncing all over the place, but no, no, I those are to, all really amazing yeah. points. I liked your comment about how much riding happens, even the day between races. I mean, that was one thing that always, and it just depends like how your body sure. is feeling hundred percent. But I remember watching, you know, some of the first pro XCTs and like national championships I went to, I'd watch Todd and Adam Craig and all of these idols just ride lap after lap after lap the day before the race. I'm like, they're riding two and a half hours the day before race. That's a long ride for me. It's crazy how much pros ride. Yeah. Like once you, once you're doing 20, 30 hours a week, you can handle, you can absorb so much extra riding yeah. and still perform. And to go on to that segment, like one of the, one of the huge things I learned this year, cause like I started having such an incredible season, like perfect legs. Like why am I here at the front of this race? And then like mid season, I, I went to world championships and raced the team relay on a Wednesday. And like, had spent the last month and a half not racing, training at home, like doing everything as perfect as I could because I knew I had a shot at world championships to be a podium. And so get to world championships. We're doing everything correctly. We've done everything as perfect as we can. And I raced the team relay on Wednesday and was the last rider to go and like had the absolute best feeling of the body ever. Like felt so good. And when I was the last rider, we were in third and caught the uh, German elite rider and passed him and sprint, finished him at the finish line. And I actually set the fastest lap of the day. Uh, of the whole weekend, right? Of the whole, of the whole relay. And the well, whole, of the I, whole, wasn't I, it? The, I actually don't know if it was. Okay. But, uh, like. But, I, I mean, who cares? Like, all basically all the best elites were in that relay and you smashed them. Like, it wasn't even close. I remember looking at those lap times and, I mean. Chris Blevins, I love you. You just won a world title and a world cup, but Riley smashed your lap time. <laughs> like it yeah, was, it was, it was weird a, to it like was a twelve. It was weird to beat Jordan Suru's lap time by twenty seconds. Yeah, like what? Yeah, that's insane. That's what I mean, like I kind of doubted the timing almost. So I had just this absolute incredible feeling, perfect body, like everything felt right, and like that confidence was like, yes, I'm right where I need to be for Saturday. Like, let's just go racing. And then Saturday came and like a lap and a half in that race, my legs turned off a bit and I just had a governor and like 
just went backwards the last two laps. And one of the things I learned this year that was crazy to me was that like I had been for, for a race week, you know, you're thinking, Oh my God, the training's done. Okay. You're conserving energy. You're resting. So you're, you're ready to go on race day, like so perfectly. And like, maybe do some openers to get your body opened up and then it's race day. Like that's the mentality I had. And a lot of people have, but I learned this year that like, I think part of the reason why my actual world champs individual race went so bad is because like, I did this big effort on Wednesday, absolute all out effort for 12 minutes. And then like, I didn't, I don't think I got the balance right of going from opened up relay race, but then like trying to rest for three days, but then also open up for your individual race. Like, I think I got that balance off. I think I was focusing too much on like resting and recovering and didn't actually open my body up enough. And I learned throughout the season that like, I actually need to do a lot more riding throughout the week and the days up to the race than I realized. Like it's not because our racing is so short, like it's an hour and a half, absolutely all out. And we train 20 plus hours a week. Like our body can handle load. And it was more about me learning how I needed to, first of all, have the course super dialed and have this absolute flow state on the course of where just like I knew every rock on the course and knew exactly where I was going to go to where it's all in the back of my mind, but also like riding my legs open because to go, at 110% up every two minute climb, like your body has to be such a perfectly oiled machine. And like what I learned so much about how I needed to be riding and the amount of riding I need to do and the amount of efforts I needed to do actually during the week up to the race to where my body was fully open and able to push. And then I actually wasn't going to be just tired on race day from it. Like that, my, my, my philosophies and how I, how I did a race week up to race day changed a ton throughout the season as well. Yeah. When I realized, Hey, I think I'm actually resting a bit too much into this race. My body's stale actually. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is crazy. You have to run the engine. It is wild. Like yeah. once you start putting that load on the body. Um, and I mean, I'm sure we're both feeling that right now coming out of the off season. Like you, of course you lost fitness, but you feel weight like, way disproportionately worse than you should just because your body is so dormant. Like there's still plenty of fitness there, but you're going to suck for like 10 days until your body is like, Oh yeah, we do this and like can reaccess kind of yeah. the anyway. For sure. I feel like the motor's just running super rich right now. Like yeah. heart rate's just like 20 beats high for the same power. <laughs> Dude, I cannot keep my heart rate below no. 150 no matter what. Yeah, I no, do. like the heart rate's just like the motor's just running rich, burning, yeah. burning heart rate's high. I feel like I have to eat three times more on my rides oh, than dude, before. 100%. Like, it's just a, it just you gotta you gotta break the machine back in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I've, one reason I have so much respect for folks that race the World Cup full time is just sort of what you described. Like, it's such results are so fragile. Like, you can be Yolanda Neff, you can be Matthias Flukiger, whoever. And so few riders are able to get a hot streak and then maintain it. Like the volatility of results is ridiculous. There's very few exceptions to that. It's basically Nino, um, like Gunrita Dalla Flecha, like 10 years ago. Yeah. Absalon. Absalon. You can kind of, I think you can kind of throw Yolanda yeah. in there at this point. Like she's, she, and, and Pauline to an extent, like they keep coming back, keep coming back and have these big results. But yeah. 
pretty much it's like these big spikes and then the rider goes away for a little while and then maybe they come back and have another big spike again. But it's so fragile at the top. Correct. Like it's so hard to keep winning. Um, yeah. Just day to day changes so much as yeah. far as, like I said, I went from winning a world cup and a month later it was like barely breaking top 10. How are you feeling psychologically? Like knowing that's the war you're going into. Like, is that daunting or have you accepted it as just part of the gig? Everyone deals with it. And it's the reason it's so prestigious when you do win. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, it's part of the gig for sure. And yeah, everyone's dealing with it, but it's also just like, because of that, I've just been paying attention and trying to learn all the small details and trying to be in touch with my body and figure out how to not have 5% differences race to race and establish a routine that works really well and work on things uh, like my fueling. That's been a bit of an issue for me this year. <laughs> Should we talk about Australia? <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> Riley. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I am. I have the, uh, the dream cyclist issue of <laughs> not being able to keep weight on. Yeah. So they say it's a dream, but I'm, I'm trying to figure it out myself. Do you want to talk about what happened at Australia's real quick? Or sure. Feel, okay. Because it was just, I don't want to call it hilarious, but in the moment, for us, it was kind <laughs> I, of I was hilarious. Like, I kind of felt like, Riley, are you faking? Like, stop being a little baby. Like, what? Come on, keep riding a bit. Yeah. But, yeah, it was the last race of the season. Um, a little bit outside the territory of what you've been doing yeah. all year. Yeah, I've been racing World Cup cross country all year, which is an hour and a half. Absolutely all out. Short little climbs, little descents, man-made stuff. And we went to uh, Arkansas for the Oz Trails Off-Road, which is a marathon mountain bike race that was a little over three hours, 40, how many miles was it? 40-something. 46, 47, I think. And kind of like up, down, on the gas pedaling the whole time. And so like my body's so tuned for an hour and a half race. And I'm so, like my whole process and system is so tuned around that hour and a half race. And like <laughs> basically um, the race started, you know, the groups break up a bit. I was on the front with, uh, or after about 45 minutes, it was me, Keegan Swenson and Russell Finsterwald kind of off the front. And then the pace sat up a bit and we kind of were just riding for most of the race together. Shout out Todd Wells for magically bridging across the <laughs> from my group. <laughs> he knew if he got there, he was set. <laughs> what a legend. Yep. Anyway, he flatted, unfortunately, but yeah, okay, pick, pick up where you were. Yeah, so lead group of us three guys off the front, we're just smashing together, um, and my body, like I said earlier at coming out of offseason, like the motor's burning super rich, but my body is like, my metabolism is so crazy high, and like I have to eat so much, and I'm I'm still trying to figure out how to correctly fuel for a three hour race because I felt absolutely incredible for two hours and then two hours to two two and a half hours. I was like, okay, we're, it hurts a bit. Like we're pushing through still feeling okay. Um, and then the last 25 minutes I had eaten all the food I brought with me and I was through the last aid station and Keegan Swenson and me had gotten off after Russell had had a flat tire and Keegan had a super unfortunate crash right behind me on a bridge. And I was two and a half miles from the finish line 
off the front by about a minute with a $10,000 like check just waiting for me at the finish line. And so I was just losing my mind like, oh my God, $10,000. Like what that means for like a 19 year old, you know, it's not getting paid yet. Um, And just like the adrenaline of that and like one of the biggest wins of my career for sure being so close and the bonk had fully hit. Like my body was empty. I did not bring enough fuel. I had not been eating enough calories for the effort. Um, and like the bonk was coming and was pushing through it, just riding that high and like 15 minutes, 20 minutes from the finish, like the absolute lights turned off, like (laughs) went from hurting and still pushing to like, all of a sudden my brain was so foggy, like talking to myself, concentration all over the place. Like my equilibrium and my balance was gone. Like just trying to like keep my bike on the trail was such a challenge. My legs were absolutely flat, like Eagle bouncing, like seat bouncing over everything. Just like trying to stay on the bike, like so delirious. I have never experienced anything like that. Like I've never pushed myself to such a low. And at one point we're like on the path that takes you back to town, like literally a half mile from the finish line. And like, I somehow was going backwards on the course because I, I remember Keegan and Russell after Keegan had crashed and broken his hand, bust his face up. Russell had flatted. I was up by about a minute and all of a sudden I'm riding towards Keegan and Russell (laughs) and I'm so confused. Like what in the hell? And like the course markings were pretty good, but definitely like had some room to like make your own turn. Like you definitely can make your own turn. Um, and somehow in your state and somehow I had gotten flipped around backwards on the course and was riding towards Keegan and Russell. And I'm like, where are we going guys? And Keegan's like, you're going the wrong way. And like passes me. And I like flip around trying to get back on their wheel, but I was so gone. So lights off that like, there was no chance. Like it wasn't even, it wasn't even a me dangle for a sec. Like it was just gone. (laughs) And like Keegan attacked Russell and was gone at that point. But like, I got to the finish line and like cruising down the pavement stretch in the finish line, like just no pedaling, (laughs) like fully coasting at like five mile an hour on a downhill road. And like my balance was so bad that I'm like swerving back and forth on a two lane road, like almost hitting the barriers across the finish line. Dude, I saw, I saw the video. (laughs) It was the weirdest thing. You were literally like going from barrier to barrier. Yeah. Like just trying to like keep my balance enough to stay on the bike on a payment road and like cross the finish line and just sit down and just like start just saying food. I'm just like food, food, food. I <laughs> should just like someone bring me food, please. Cause like my body was like the basically after talking to some doctors and things like it, I had basically just gone into a diabetic blood sugar low, like, like f- 35, 40 was probably what my sugars were. And like, my brain was just so foggy and gone. Like, like you were drunk. Like I couldn't form sentences that made sense. I couldn't stand and walk. And I like, I was just the only thought on my mind is give me a freaking cheeseburger right now. I'm about to absolutely annihilate it. And so like, I remember you finished and you're like, Riley, like you okay. Like you could tell something was a little off. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't even form a real sentence that made sense. 
And like, I was so sad that like probably one, if I had brought maybe one more gel with me, hundred percent, one more gel, you would have been good. I would have freaking made 7,000 more dollars that day. It's an expensive mistake. Young buck. Yep. (laughs) Still a lot to learn. Yeah. It's interesting though. Like, I'm hungry right now, by the way. Yeah, I'm getting there. Going back, we can we can tie this up. But going, Just kidding. Going back to the that that point of like being so tuned for the World Cup, it is interesting how specialized that effort has gotten. Like really the closest thing to it now is cyclocross racing. Um, and they're kind of like resembling each other more and more in a way. Um, it's amazing how much XC has changed and like how specialized the athletes. Yeah, I think another big thing I learned this year was like, how much more I need to focus on not just like putting hours on the bike, but like short, absolute all out explosive efforts. And like, I also learned that like this altitude I live at is amazing for just being a great athlete and training and being super fit. But I actually realized I needed, like I really need before the race to go to sea level and to do like 30 second, one minute, one and a half minute efforts that are like, absolute vo2 efforts at sea level because my body up here can't push quite to that level and so like if i go straight from altitude to a cross-country world cup now that like the longest effort at us like at a at one time you're doing is two minutes basically like my body just didn't know how to like go that deep use that much oxygen and like push over that hard because you can't at altitude and like I had to realize like I needed to do less of like five minute efforts, 20 minute threshold efforts and more of like 30 thirties, one minute, two minute efforts that are like short all out, like absolutely explosive efforts because that's kind of what cross country is going a lot more towards. Yeah. I remember having that conversation with Travis Brown at one point, you know, being up here will help you become just an absolute diesel God. Yeah. But he, I mean, the year he, he said the year that he went top 10 at Elite Worlds, he basically did a 50-50 split uh, training camp-wise, like 50% sea level, 50% up here at elevation, and that, that did him well. But it's funny because you always hear folks like, you, you get fast by being at altitude, which is true to an extent. But Oh, yeah. Like you can develop incredible, incredible fitness. Yeah. And maybe for that three-hour endurance event I told you about, like it helps an absolute ton. Yeah. But like – just being able to process a huge volume of oxygen at such a VO2 effort is a little different up here for sure. Yeah. Speaking of Durango, let's talk about the insanity of the cycling community here. The list is hilarious at this point, honestly. Like, Sep, Quinn, Todd, Ned. Uh, I mean, you can go back into the later years, but, like, Davis just won a professional national title. Like, yeah. the list is Obviously, just... Chris comes from Yeah, here. Chris. I mean, literally you forget like, oh yeah, shoot, that person is currently world champion. Forgot oh yeah, wait, them. every time that mountain biking's <laughs> been in the Olympics, we've had a mail from Drango. <laughs> yeah, insane. Okay, so to that end, um, we talk a lot about the results that come out of this place, but what's something about the Durango cycling community that you value that you think people might not know about? Like community is such a word people throw around all the time, but people might not know that like we have such a casual but connected relationship with like all of the professionals or 
once professional riders here. And so like what that means is, Hey, there's a local race put on Wednesday afternoon, just like ripping around uh, the factory trails at Fort Lewis, like a quick little 20 minute short track, marking the course of the bag of flour, like no entry fees, no actual organization at all. And like freaking Todd Wells and Chris and all the Fort Lewis athletes will show up and just like absolutely rip each other's legs off. And like the level at such a grassroots casual, basically like social get together is insane. Yeah. And like the Durango wheel club's been running a Tuesday night ride for I mean, how long has it been going? 25, 30 years probably. Yeah. I remember stories of, of, you know, Tomac and Ned doing it back in the day. Yeah. And so a, a, every Tuesday night from like March, April through October, November, every Tuesday night, there's probably at least 15, 20 guys that just an hour and a half, basically an hour and a half road race every single Tuesday night you can do with Olympians, world champions, best pro cyclists in North America right now. And like the casual, low stress, just community atmosphere of the best cyclists in this country that just want to rip each other's legs off and get a good workout. Like that's what's so special because kids grow up here being exposed to the most amazing trails and training grounds and best friends to go ride with. And it's like so low key, so casual compared to what a ton of kids grow up. Like there's a ton of 10, 11, 12 year olds, like traveling the country with their parents racing full time, like on all the best stuff, like really chasing this dream from a young age. And it's like in Durango, you're just putting on a pair of jorts and pajamas and going and ripping around with your friends for 30 minutes. But that level is so high because of who it is that like you're just pushed so much. Like it at probably 13 or 14 years old, Chad Cheney took me on this group ride I was telling you about, this Tuesday night ride. And I had never ridden a drop bar road bike before. Mm-hmm. Like I never ridden a road bike. And I'm going to like hang on to the back of this group for an hour and a half that consists of Howard Grotz and Quinn Simmons. And like, I didn't know how to draft. I didn't know anything. And Chad Cheney, just this amazing guy who's just like so loose and just like throws you into the deep end. It's like, yeah, come get on this. Cause I had like started to like want to train and want to race more. And he's like, yeah, let me show you this ride. Like that happens every Tuesday night. Like borrowed a road bike. And like, he's like, yeah, you gotta be close to their wheel. see how you can feel like, a difference of how hard you have to work on their wheel and literally like future world champion Quinn Simmons and like Howard are about to just like absolutely average 26 mile an hour for an hour and a half with this little 14 year old kid, like just being absolutely thrown to this deep end. But like I show up and they're like making conversation with me, asking me who I am. And it's just like a casual conversation with people who you see almost every week in town. And so like this level of cycling that exists and the camaraderie connections that it is here in Durango is like, what's so special and why I'm always so excited to go home and why most of my training consists of group rides or races locally with these people. Like that's probably 50, 60% of efforts I do in a year are not intervals that are structured by myself. 
but our a Tuesday night road race where we're coming into Shalona Hill and Payson, Cole, Ned, Quinn, and Chris are all there. And we're about to just absolutely do the most intense five minute effort on planet earth together. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? The, the thing you touched on there at the end, I think is so cool too, which is sort of like the lack of ego to an extent, which Correct. I think is so important. I remember like no one cares who you are on the ride. Like, yeah. I think if it you was, get dropped, you get dropped. It's whatever you pedal back to town. There's no finish line yeah. to post up at or money at the end. There's no contract that's going to be signed out of this. Like everyone's just there to like go off the front and absolutely put themselves in the box and talk to their friends. Exactly. Yeah. I remember, I don't know, four, four or five years ago, maybe um, I was on the Tuesday group ride and I dropped Todd on a climb when Todd was very much not retired yet. Very good. And I was like, Oh my God, this is insane. And, and then he waxed you the next week at a race. Yeah. That, but the other thing is <laughs> I forget who it was, but they were like, yeah, good, good job. Good job, Pace, because I was chatting to them. I was like, that's the first time I've ever dropped Todd. And they're like, yeah, they're like, that's sweet. You, you dropped Todd on also, a group ride. Also, do you notice how he has two bottles on his frame and one in his back pocket? You see all that salt crested on his jersey? He's on hour five. Yeah. And he doesn't give a shit if he gets seventh exactly. up the climb. Like, he, he's not here to impress everybody else. He's here because he knows how valuable this resources and this environment is and it's going to help him win Leadville the next weekend. And I think Todd values the community almost more than anyone. Like Todd Agreed. always is talking about how special the community is and making it to all these rides and racing these local cross races as his source of training now because he, I mean he's technically retired but he still can be 90 95% of American pros in this country. 100%. <laughs> Dude, I remember there was a Tuesday group ride At earlier. 40 40 how old is he? 46? 45. 45. But there was one earlier this year like late spring early summer it was a flat route and um Quinn was just going absolute bananas. Yeah. Um and I did my best to match him, and eventually I couldn't anymore, and he was pretty much doing all the work. And then here comes Todd, and Todd, to the end of the ride, just matched his pulls. Yep. It's like, holy and fuck. Todd has, <laughs> Todd I'm absolutely amazed at every week on yeah. this ride because he has so much experience that he will ride like, he knows he's by far not the fittest there anymore, but he will ride so perfectly conservative, be exactly where he needs to be at the right time, make the split he needs to make and like be top three, top five on the ride because he just knows how to freaking race so well. Like yeah. if you want to make it to the end of group ride, you just sit on his wheel because he will always be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I have so much to learn about that, especially with being a mountain biker, just not being exposed to too much pack racing and tactics aspect of things. But yeah, anyways, man crushing on Todd. <laughs> we are this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's the reason I came to Durango. He was your yeah, coach. He was for my a long first time. coach. He's yeah. I won my first cha national championship at 16 years old with him coaching me. That's awesome. Great dude. Um okay, we should probably start tying this up. Last question, um unless you have other stuff you want to talk about which we can do. Uh what are some actually I have two more. Sorry. We'll try to keep them quick. Um what are some interests you have outside of cycling? How are you staying diversified and and keeping a little balance in your life? Um, I mean, I'm a pretty simple guy, but 
I love, I'm a super social person. Like I love trying to spend as much time as I can with friends, with family. Um, love fishing a ton. Love fly fishing whenever I can. I love to hunt with my father who I haven't got to do a ton in the past because of school and racing lines up with. But I think in the next couple of years, hopefully we'll get to go on a couple more hunting trips together. Camping, love four by four in my truck and breaking it. <laughs> um, I do. You, but, I, I do ask you or pretty frequently when I ask you what you're up to, you say working on my truck. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love working on my bikes as much as I can and, and tinkering and fixing stuff on my truck. Like I'm super, I love working my, with my hands and like mechanic brain definitely. And just like love learning how things work and, but yeah, not a ton else other than that. Like definitely pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last question. You can take this in whatever direction you want. Uh, who are some people that you admire or draw inspiration from any background? Um, we've talked enough about Todd, <laughs> but he's on the list. Um, definitely Chris Blevins. He's for the last three years been a huge mentor to me just f- with anything from cycling related questions to life related questions. Like he's definitely been there for me quite a bit. And he's like, nobody does more random shit in a day than he does. Like he's so like, I have so much respect for his ability to go to school, be a world freaking champion on a bicycle, do amazing projects, give back to people and make freaking music. Like he's, he's such a good person, you know? Like, so I have amazing respect for good people. Um, obviously look up to a lot of the greats and a lot of the people in the cycling industry, but yeah, not, That's not super one. crazy fanboying on too many people. I guess. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> once, once you start trying to beat them and you're at the front with them, your perspective about that changes. I mean, I, I just have mad respect more for just like good people and cool people like Yolanda a ton because just like, learning how, like I told you earlier, how, how she thinks about cycling, how she doesn't sweat little things, how her whole outlook on sport and longevity in sport. Like I respect for cool people and good people like that, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Good man. That'll stand in good stead. Um, anything else, anything else you wanted to touch on? Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be able to, have these uh have these opportunities to just talk and share my story and i just want like i said i want to inspire others and encourage anyone to just like shoot me a dm with any questions they have on life and cycling and like i'll hopefully see you out there on the trails hell yeah thanks for doing it riley congratulations yeah. on thanks. everything thanks basin hello again hope you enjoyed that episode with riley thank you all so much for listening Thank you for leaving ratings, leaving reviews, all that good stuff. Honestly, I think the most helpful thing, though, at this point is just spreading the word on social media and in your communities by word of mouth. Y'all have been awesome recently about sharing episodes you've enjoyed recently on social media. I'm actually not on Facebook at all anymore, so I don't know if anyone's sharing there. But plenty of story posts. Love that. Uh, I share them as well um, as frequently as I can. Goes a long way. This show is edited and produced by Lily McKelvin. I haven't missed a week yet. Thanks in large part to her. 
Um, we're going to keep that rolling as long as we can. We are entering year three. Is that right? I'm losing track. I think that's good. We'll catch you next week.